The trees were waiting in the darkness ahead, quietly expectant. A tree is not a human thing, with its feet in the ground and its back hard against the sky. It cannot tolerate the small human tendernesses moving beneath, and, not obeying the whims of movable creatures, can hardly have more pity for a Natalie than for a field mouse or a pheasant, moving with private pride but falling easily. Beneath the trees it was not dark as a room is dark when the lights are put out, the artificial darkness which comes when an artificial light is gone. It was the deep, natural darkness which comes with a forsaking of natural light. Shirley Jackson, Hangzeman. Welcome back to this week's exit. <laughs> this week's exit. We're out. Bye. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Boy, am I embarrassed. There is <laughs> a first for everything. Welcome back to this week. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> Welcome back to this week's episode of the Wellhouse Exorcism. <laughs> I should have written this in the script. I am your host, Pukwa PJ. <laughs> Thank you for saving this. <laughs> I'm like crying. I'm not going to cut any of that. All right. Um, hi, this is your ghost of the host with not the most, Shanna. Oh, the boy. most attempts at an intro. <laughs> I'm just broken. It's been a week. <laughs> Carrie gets it. Yeah, Carrie gets it. Jackie gets it. Penny gets it. They know what I'm going through. <clears throat> All right. Anyway, so welcome back to this week's episode. It's so nice to see you down here in the basement, PJ. Hello. And I'm glad you said Pukwa PJ, because I might be mentioning the Pukwa G again. I know. Your brethren are going to be making an appearance on this episode. Yeah, just because I took the name doesn't mean I'm related to <laughs> the, the little people. <laughs> well, this week I want to discuss something nice and creepy that Penny suggested. Mm. Initially, I thought it would take two episodes, but I think I can do it in one. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so before that, we are doing our giveaway. Yep. I took a picture of everything except for the board game you want to add. Yep. Okay. So, um, watch out on Facebook. We'll have the picture minus, or are you going to like put like a little, little screenshot of the game on top of it? Yeah, I'll, I'll add a picture of our version of the game because we, we have a copy of the game too. Okay. And so it'll be a combined games overboard and wellhouse exorcism. Yeah. Uh, Can I explain how the game works really quick? Because it's super yes, easy. Yes, go ahead. So the game is called Boop. <laughs> and you have a... The the game board looks like a quilted bed. It, it even has like a soft bed cover that you put on the, on the, the, the box. That's pretty nifty, I'm not going to lie. And so your goal is to put kittens on the board. And every kitten you put down pushes every other kitten next to it away one space so you have to be careful where you put them because you might boop someone off oh, the edge no. of the bed um and your goal is to line up three of your kittens in a row and then they upgrade to cats and then you have to get three cats in a row and then that's how you win i don't want to boop its nose you boop the snoot <laughs> It's adorable. And you're yeah, going to get the Halloween version? Yeah, the Halloween version where the cats are like sitting on jack-o'-lanterns or dressed as ghosts and it's called Boop. <laughs> They're like five O's. 
And it's a two-player game, correct? It's a two-player game, yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. We can play together, just you and me. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so tonight my references are going to be from Wikipedia. I'll put that first. It's a joke. <laughs> Legends of America, the Vermonter, Mental Floss, the Vermont Daily Chronicle, thetravel.com, Listverse, Obscure Vermont, and Grunge. Just Grunge? Yeah, dot com. <laughs> um, so, and there's a couple of like things here and there kind of smattered throughout that I didn't like take a lot of stuff from. So they get just a little, a little snippet in there. Because this week, do you know what state we're going to? Vermont. What a good guess. I know. We are going to discuss I have a gift. the Bennington Triangle. Oh, okay. Not the Bridgewater Triangle. Okay. Not the Bermuda Triangle. Not the Alaskan Triangle. Nope. You excited? I am. All right. Do you know anything about this? I've heard of it. That's it. I had, That's literally all I, I know had never it. heard of this until Penny said, you got to yeah. do an episode on this. There, there are triangles all over the place, you know, like the Alaskan Triangle Dude, is one, another I one. I think Pennsylvania has a triangle. And I think that I know, yeah. I think that it's being uncovered currently in that conversation With from Folsom Folsom Rejects. Yeah. Yep, I think that they're going to find that there's a triangle. Anywho, I mean, yeah, no pressure, full sends, but you got <laughs> you got this. <laughs> keep digging. Yeah, keep well, exactly. Yeah, because when you listen to the story of the Bennington Triangle, um, you see a lot of well, I saw a lot of comparisons to the full send rejects and like the research that we had done and the missing okay. persons. So I think you're gonna notice it too. Okay. Oh, yeah. So what is the Bennington Triangle, PJ? It is centered. A triangle. You know, it actually is. Wow. Not a rhombus. Wow. It could have been a trapezoid, but it chose triangle. Yeah. What if there's a fourth point that no one, we just haven't found yet? Maybe it's a quadrilateral. But I want, I want it to be a trapezoid. Okay. Well, that's a fourth point, too. I know. I know some map. Moving but on. It's still quadrilateral. Moving on. Trape- the- trapezoids are quadrilaterals. <laughs> the Bennington Triangle, centered around Glastonbury Mountain. Penny will tell you. In Vermont. She doesn't teach geometry. <laughs> <laughs> Simple shapes are beyond her. <laughs> Penny, I know you're listening. I'm... I'm just a simple middle school math teacher. I can't do shapes. <laughs> With all of my multiple degrees that she has. Is this a rhombus or a trapezoid? <laughs> I don't know, Timmy! It's a shape! <laughs> I teach pre-algebra! Actually, she teaches honors algebra 1. Honors algebra 1. <laughs> there it is, see? Eighth graders are supposed to be pre-algebra at that age. Not when you're in honors. Well, yeah. They're taking the keystones a year early. Moving on, it is centered around Glastonbury Mountain in Vermont. Oh, right. The triangle. Yes. yes. And it has long been known for strange events, including UFO activity, Bigfoot sightings, strange lights and sounds. And it is also the location where at least five people disappeared between the 1940s and 50s. Okay. Interesting. It's the, a short time frame. Yes. And there's more to that story. The area is even said to be cursed, according to Native American lore. So, yeah, I'm going to be bringing up my Native American stories Mm -hmm. here. The Indians of the area have long been wary of the area, and they've avoided it. And an Algonquin legend warned of a malevolent stone in the mountains that would open up and devour anyone unlucky enough to step on it. Huh. 
So obviously I want to go. That sounds awesome. Like, I swear I've either seen that in a show or read about it or something, because that sounds so familiar. See, I'm from New Hampshire. Like a stone that'll crack open and you fall into it. And yeah. And um, I swear I've seen something like that I always look before. at Vermont as like the the skiing preppy version of New Hampshire. Like we're sisters. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's how like I've always viewed Vermont. I'm not sure if I have New England listeners out there, but that's kind of how I see it. But now I'm like, okay, they got a triangle. So maybe they're cooler maybe than they New Hampshire. they are better than New Hampshire. No. How dare you? <laughs> We? No, I'm not even going to know We're from Vermont. We have a triangle. What does New Hampshire have? Me. (laughs) (laughs) The end. (laughs) I mean, they did, and then you left. You're like, nope, I'm not staying here. I didn't have a choice. Bye, New Hampshire. My dad's in the Air Force. Anyway, so Vermont's Bennington Triangle is a term coined by storyteller and broadcaster Joseph A. Citro during a radio broadcast in 1992. So it's only been recently called this fun fact. He is a well-known figure when it comes to the folklore, legends, and ghost stories of New England, particularly Vermont. And while conducting local research, he recognized patterns tying together a number of disappearances in the area. And he came up with the now infamous Bennington Triangle Theory. Okay. Mm-hmm. He said it shares lots of features with the Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. which we already discussed on our podcast crossover with Liminal Unlimited. So if you're interested, listeners, and you've not listened to that one, go back and listen to Bridgewater uh, because you'll notice a lot of comparisons between that and this. Some creepy audio files, too. Do, 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 do. The woman who was supposedly... Possessed by a Pukwaji. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Iwachu. No, no. Kier. 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 Anyway. <laughs> I love doing that to the pets. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We're doing it with the kids. What are you doing? Kier. Kier. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Bennington Triangle is 27,000 acres of dense woodland. Um, and as I mentioned before, there's a lot of unsolved mysteries that have happened there. I mentioned five people who have gone missing, but it's actually close to 50. But we know a lot about it because of Citro's dedication to documenting and publicizing all the stories that we're going to talk about tonight. And it's because even though we know so much about the legends and the loss of human life there as well. So I give all the shout outs and kudos to him and for him to bring like the interest into the Bennington area, kind of like Fulson Rejects is bringing interest into their area. Yeah. Like I said, I think that's the opening of a triangle for them. So, you're not from up north. No. You ain't from around here. No. So, the area of Glastonbury. Technically, um, I'm not even from around here. No, you're not. Shoo. Don't get. <laughs> anyway. Fine. I'm not from around here either. My family is. Anyway, um, it, it's also, it has a nearby township of Somerset. They were former logging and industrial towns. And they flourished during the early years, but they fell into decline pretty quickly. Because, as you know, like in the north, well, in our area, lots of dense woodlands, lots of trees, Vermont, lots of trees. So Glastonbury and Somerset were created just to log and get some really nice wood mm-hmm. and send it everywhere. Um, so they actually declined in the late 19th century, and they were like unincorporated. They're ghost towns now. By the 1930s. Naturally. So, yeah. So, they don't really exist. So, the town of Glastonbury itself reached its peak of a population of 241 people only. (laughs) 
a town smaller than ours? I know. The squirrels really did outnumber them. Um, so it did, of course, end the end of the 19th century because it um, had some pretty tragic events. Not only were there multiple crimes that were left unsolved, but it was also flooded in its entirely less than a decade reign. Wow. Yeah. So of the crimes that were never solved, there's a... I don't say the fun, but there there's an interesting one that started there. So their cause also remains a mystery for what happened. Um, when taking the life of a coworker, one man described hearing voices that told him to do so. And then in another case, one man lost his life, despite the fact that at the time he had an ample amount of protection at his disposal. So let's go back to the guy who kills um, hearing voices. In 1892, a sawmill worker, Henry McDowell, drunkenly bludgeoned a coworker to death with a rock after he heard voices telling him to attack. It made me think of the show Dark. Thanks for me. I know, right? We <laughs> watch, but um. Yeah, you just happened to see the one episode where. Oh yeah, it was, with the rock. <laughs> thanks, Carrie and Tom. <laughs> I was a happy bit. No. Um, but yeah. sure, I'll try this show. So, oh my god! No surprise, he is committed to an asylum because he heard voices. Yeah. Um, but then he managed to escape. And vanish, and no one ever saw or heard from him ever again. Hmm. Yeah. So, mysterious. The voices called him back. I don't know. And then five years after that murder, another strange one happened. John Harbour was a prominent Wood Woodford citizen who went into Bickford Hollow, which is just south of Glastonbury. He was out there hunting. He was shot by people or person i don't we don't know unknown but they found his fully loaded gun just next to him and it looks like he had been dragged several yards before he like lay in his final resting position Mm. with his fully loaded gun those who investigated his death were left wondering why he was easily shot and why they left the gun there yeah those are (laughs) valuable pieces like why wouldn't you just take that with you you know why would you do that so this murder um, has gone unsolved and obviously will just remain that way. Like, we're not going to find out 100 plus years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could say that maybe he trusted the person or persons who shot him. And that's why, you know, he didn't, like, you know, pull his gun out or whatever or shoot them because he trusted them. And I think you could discuss that murder away. The voice is one. The previous one's creepy. But yeah. could he, he could be crazy. However, there are so many unusual events that I think the beginning of this town with those two major murders, plus, again, the um, the this flood, I think just add to the mysterious qualities and to the unsolved mystery of the area. Yeah. And there are stuff that happens that predates the 1890s murders. So um, putting those murders out first, because they're white settler or white culture, but then mm-hmm. we're going to go backwards in time to the Native Americans, and then we're going to go forward into more present day. Okay. All right. And gotcha. I want your opinion. Do you think it's just random coincidence or is there something more? Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned to you, um, the there was a flood. Their extreme logging that they did on the mountainside was a terrible idea because it led to soil erosion. Mm-hmm. We know how that works. So in 1897, a massive flood destroyed much of the railway into Glastonbury, which just destroyed the town. So there were no attempts to made like made to reinvent the town. Um, people just left because obviously their train couldn't get to them. There was nothing there for them. Yeah. And so the town just like rapidly lost its population. Ripley's Believe It or Not actually documented that the only family that was really there in 1930 was the Madison family. The three members of that family made up the entire town. 
and they mm-hmm. held every office between them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And as I said, in 1937, the town was officially unincorporated. But as of 2010, um, a mere eight people lived there. So, oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's the last census they have for the area. So people are still trying to live in Glastonbury. I don't know why. But anyway. But another place of Bennington Triangle would be Patch Hollow. So Not, not Patch Adams. No, I wish. That'd be pretty cool. So... You have a triangle, you have creepy murders with guys hearing voices, and then like unexplained murders where the guys just throw his gun. Mm-hmm. But then you all, so you have that, but then you also have like this patch hollow, and it feels like the hex hollow stories that we were told. So I feel like it's like a lot of the stuff that we've discussed in different areas of Pennsylvania, all in one little location. So patch hollow, it runs in a north-south direction, and it's a deep trench of land, like high in the Green Mountains in that yeah. area. Um, it's it's kind of near the a slope of Bear Mountain to the west and Button Hill. If you don't know the area, I'm probably just like naming off mountains here, but it is a big trench area that runs kind of like north-south, so north-south almost. But anyway, in the middle of that densely wooded area is a large swamp, and its green waters occasionally have dead trees twisting up and outwards of it so it's kind of like skeletons reaching out for you nice you can't make those look any creepier <laughs> yeah, like, but you know that that's the, the the bowl of this trench is that and then in 2008 a beaver dam broke with such force that it sent a large waterfall of water flowing down the steep hillsides and it carved this like jagged gorge into the land and it took out a chunk of route 140 and what's crazy is these large boulders went down with it and they still rest alongside the roadside. So you have this hollow that is super unsafe and it looks creepy AF. <laughs> all right. Like, that's all, all I'm going to say is like, it is not an easy, safe place to be. So anyway, when towns were being settled, the first roads were being cleared. Obviously, they built through the highlands and mountains because valleys were prone to flooding, as you see, and washouts, as you see with the boulders. Um, but in any case, at one point, Patch Hollow was on the main road through town. So a really important area. And when if you go into the book History of Wallingford, Vermont by Walter Thorpe, he writes um, that there was a settlement there of at least five families. Um, but there are no clues that are left that would point to the bloody struggle that happened there. Well, obviously, the beavers declared war on humans. <laughs> I knew it. They tried to disrupt our trade routes by breaking the dam. So then they attacked the Thorpe family. Because we're, well, he, Walter Thorpe wrote the book, but he didn't oh, live there. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, they, Thorpe they... uncovered the beaver mafia. Yes. There it is. Yes. Or um, beaver assassins. We all know they're mafia true. per se. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Um, because this was their logging business yeah. and we were encroaching on their exactly. logging. Yeah. Figured it out. All right. You heard it here first. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so again, Patch Hollow, it already sounds creepy. Not a great place, I think, to live. Yeah. But then something terrible and tragic happens on May 11th, 1831. Okay. Okay. So 60 years before some guy bludgeons the guy, another guy to death with a rock. Gotcha. All right. So one of the settlements in the hollow was owned by Roland Wheeler. What a great name. All right. But to um, quote an account about him written in 1911, he was a, quote, man of violent passions and jealous disposition. Wow. Sounds like a winner. Yep. Um, And what's really gross about this is he was reportedly guilty of sexual acts with his wife's sister. Oh, my. 
Yeah, such a situation that was when leaked, um, it created a great deal of resentment in the community, and they took justice into their own hands. Okay. Feels like Texas right here, you know? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, some of the community members from Wallingford and Shrewsbury, they were like, you know, areas. Neighboring towns. Yeah, they were so resentful that they decided to form a mob. So get your pitchforks. No, they wanted to get their tar and feathers. Excellent. That's what they were okay. going to do. Yes. Um, the threats were so public that Wheeler was forewarned of this. Like, dude, they're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, he took measures to defend himself. He actually fashioned a knife from a large file, and he barred his door. Um, That's it. That, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a mob coming. I'm just going to bar my door. <laughs> Prop the chair. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so on the night of May 11th, the mob. Do we close the windows? <laughs> no, the door is propped. It's fine. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, so on the night of May 11th, the mob sets out to Patch Hollow to get this guy. They have jugs of rum, of course. <laughs> <laughs> they have a bucket of tar, a sack of feathers, and they're heading through it's the. It's gonna mountains. be a great bonfire. <laughs> Get the marshmallows out and make us more. I don't mean to cry, but it's like, oh, we gotta take the rum. Where is the rum gone? <laughs> so anyway, the two parties did go together, but the party from Shrewsbury never made it. They got lost in the woods. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, you know. Um, they were embarrassed, I'm guessing, that they lost out to the woods, so they returned home. But the Wallingford group... Well, they found their way home, though. <laughs> <laughs> did they have the rum or the tar and feathers? <laughs> anyway... Um, the Wallingford group, they got to Wheeler's house. They did force their way in by prying a hole in the gable end of a roof. The door was barred so well that they had to break into the roof. Wow. That's All right. Determination. So he right barred there. the door. Um, three men leaped into the house and they struggled with Wheeler in the dark. Wheeler stabbed one man in the side and another was slashed an excessive amount of 14 times. Yikes. Yep. The door to the cabin was unbarred, finally, and then more men pour into the cabin. In the scuffle, someone was killed. Okay. Not Wheeler. Um, the angry mob stopped being- The guy who was stabbed or slashed 14 times? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the angry mob stops being belligerent so they can see how well they did killing Wheeler. <laughs> Jeez, someone just got hurt, guys. Let's make we, her. Oh my gosh! Someone's on the floor. We, we need, did. We need to stop. <laughs> um, in their haste and probably in their drunkenness, because they're carrying obviously rum, they made a mistake that you know was not so great. They killed a member of their group. Um, his name was Isaac Osborne. Um, Wheeler was nowhere to be found. Wait a minute! This is Isaac's house. Oh. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh no! <laughs> no, it wasn't. So once they realized, oh, crap, we killed Isaac, they were looking around and they noticed that there was a set of clothes strewn across the cabin floor. And this is the part that I don't understand. But Wheeler had escaped the hands of one of his attackers by wrestling out of his clothes. Okay. I hope it was like a nightshirt because that would make sense in the 1830s. Yeah. I, I hope because if like he's like was wearing his boots and his pants and his like, and that was a lot of wrestling. Anyway, he then crawled under his bed, he pried up some of the floorboards underneath there, and he escaped beneath the house. A lot of prying. Yes. This, this he, not only did he bar his door, he also pried his way out. Yeah, they pried the roof open, and he <laughs> pried the floorboards. And... Yeah. It's a lot of prying. A lot of it. Um, so Naked. 
Yeah. A suit, allegedly. Yeah. Or yeah. No, let, we can naked. Infer- infer- the, the story's not done yet. He's naked. Oh, no. <laughs> we haven't even got to the other It's May, though, stuff. right? It's May. It's warmish. It's not, not like super warm. It's but... smell the night though. Yeah, it's and warm-ish. it's in the it's in mountains. Like if you're be like if you're in the Adirondacks, so. that kind of area, Green Mountains, it could still be like in the teens it up could. there. It could be. In any case, when they realized their mistake, the mob panicked, of course, and they fled because <laughs> oh my god, we killed somebody. So my later, gosh, I didn't realize someone <laughs> would get hurt. So crazy. Later, wash my hands. <laughs> I just feel wrong. <laughs> Dr. John Fox of Wallingford visited the scene, and he recounted it as, quote, the most terrible sight he could recall. Yep, the... that's a dead man. <laughs> no, there's more to that. <laughs> By the light of a candle, he saw, quote, the livid body. He didn't wait till morning? No, he, I guess not. Anyway, <laughs> he saw, the quote, the livid body of Osborne on the bed and a cabin literally soaked in blood. So apparently they moved Osborne to the bed at some point to make him maybe make themselves feel better because he oh was on the gosh. ground yeah but anyway he was laying on the bed then so i guess that was nice they put him in an eternal sleep or or they all ran away he's like i'm not dead yet <laughs> no oh <laughs> isaac oh he's just going i gotta go somewhere comfy <laughs> oh isaac <laughs> after escaping that's how it was soaked in blood he's just kind of like flopped against the walls no, the and... house is covered in blood anyway so back to Wheeler. So after he escapes his his horrible situation, he decided spending the night naked in the woods would be a bad idea. Yeah. Um, but also safer than going back to his house or to town. Also, yeah. So, you know, hit and miss there. So before dawn, he stole a shirt from a clothesline, and then he walked all the way to Hartsboro. Um, it's a section of the town. It's now a ghost town, fun fact. Okay. Um, and he hid in a barn. Needing clothes, he spent part of his day crudely weaving a dress from rye straw he found in the barn. This, be- this guy's determined. Like <laughs> I know. It's going to be itchy. Um, and then he retreated to his sister's home in Paulette, but he was finally caught. He was arrested and put on trial at the Baptist Church in Wallingford, because it's the only place that was big enough to host everybody. But he was found innocent under the terms of self-defense for what happened in his house. Okay. I guess we forgot about the um, acts against the wife's yeah, sister. Yeah, the, the reason why the mob existed yep. in the first place. So he gets off of that. But the mob did not get off. Two of his attackers were fined $60 each. Another three Ow. were fined $40 each. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's not cheap. Nope. For those but times. It's just like. This was what, 1890s? 1830s. 1830. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. So, but in any case, after all of that, Patch Hollow was abandoned because, again, he lived down there. You know, um, everyone just kind of left. No one has even tried to rebuild in that area. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was just one interesting piece of history for the Bennington Triangle because I'm going to go into the Native American folklore, but I wanted there to be a vision of... The mayhem, the murder, yeah. the cra- the weirdness that happens well after the Native Americans have unfortunately been shoved out of their area. Mm-hmm. Okay. A fine of $60 is equal to $2,011 in today's money. Ouch. Yeah. No one ever mentions Isaac anymore, though. Whatever happened. What, what did they get for that? They killed a guy. Anyway. So in addition to obviously those stories, there have been reports I mentioned of strange lights in the sky. Mm-hmm. I tried getting information about that and like the UFOs, but not much was popping up that was reliable. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there are even discussions about a phantom hitchhiker. 
But again, I'm not mm. going to focus on that. So if you would like to do research on that on your own re- listeners, you can. Um, but lots of strange creatures. I'm ready. Yes. So I think it's interesting. and But that adds to the allure of the Bennington trial because you have murder, but you also have all this creepy stuff happening. Um, so a lot of people say it's probably connected to some dark supernatural force. Okay. Which is why I now bring in the Native American folklore. You know me. I got to guess dapple that in there a little bit so long before there were towns like patch hollow or bennington or glastonbury or whatever okay um the area belonged to the abenaki tribe they're algonquin the abenaki had their own firm beliefs about the area they did fall out of the algonquin ideas of course because that was their sister nation um but we're talking the Abenaki have a little bit of a different history than what we talked about last week. Like last week, we learned the, Al- the Algonquins believe in the Wendigo. Yes. Okay. So there's that whole Wendigo conversation. There's the Iroquois in this area too. So I mentioned the Iroquois as well. But they all have their own personal beliefs. And the Abenaki had their own feelings about the mountain. And they were not positive. Okay. So first off, they believe their god, Tabaldok, dwelt at the summit of Glastonbury Mountain. Which you think hmm. would be great. Unless he wasn't a good god. No, no. It was <laughs> yeah, they believed that the whole mountain was cursed um, because, quote, the four winds met their in an eternal struggle. Now, while that's called a myth, it's actually kind of true. Like, if you go up on, on the mountain, the wind patterns are crazy, apparently. Mm-hmm. And you can have weather up there that's, like, pouring down. There are stories of, like, pouring down rain. Like crazy, you can't see in front of you. It's that torrential. And then you get on the mountain, they're like, it's bone dry. We didn't have any bad weather. What are you talking about? So, like, it's just really, really unsafe up there. So, maybe you could say that maybe their myths come from the truth of that. Yeah. Well, especially like, you know, mountain mountains are always windier by yeah. nature. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, the wind in the area is volatile, um, depending on the conditions. So, again, like you said, that at an ISAT, like, it, it kind of fuels their belief. Yeah. So, along with the four winds contradicting one another on the side of the mountain, they also believe that there was a man-eating rock up there, which I mentioned earlier. Mm. Um, it is eager to consume any person who steps foot upon it. Now, as reported by David Russell of the X-Project Paranormal Magazine, a person would stand on the rock to survey the area from the highest point and find themselves suddenly swallowed whole. The person would never be heard from again. Wee! I'm going on an adventure. So I guess, like, there would have to be stories of people seeing this happen for the myth to exist. Yeah, like, why would they invent this rock? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Or else... It's just because a lot of a lot of the myths that you hear, and I hate to use the word myth, but the folklore that you hear, it's literal. It comes from somewhere. You mm-hmm. know, folk literature is called that because we can't prove that it's true. Yeah. Even the Bible is folk literature. You know, people yeah. believe it's real. Obviously, we're Catholic. We believe it. You know, we believe in the Bible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it has to be labeled under folk literature because it's been passed on by generation by generation, orally initially. So, like you said, like there had to have been something that happened up there for them to believe for the this story world. to exist. Yeah, and. If you go back to the Bridgewater Triangle conversation, same thing with Bigfoot, all right? Which is where I'm going next, okay? Okay. Because there's always this discussion of portals and vortexes. But the Abenaki also told stories of a large, hairy, half-man, half-animal creature. And there were multiple creatures like this, actually, because they all lived throughout the region. And they would threaten the inhabitants of the area. 
So yes, Bigfoot mm. is mentioned in their lore. Um, again, very similar to the Bridgewater Triangle, but we know that Bigfoot foot from that um, lives in and near swamps because mm-hmm. water is a conduit into their world and vice versa. That's how they travel between our world and their world. Yes. Well, there's a swamp, if you didn't catch that, in Patch <laughs> Hollow. Um, but this Bigfoot is... It's interesting. I, I, when I was reading about it, it's not your usual Bigfoot story. Okay. So I actually went on the National Guard website, no joke, to find out about Bigfoot. And so this is what they say. Bigfoot is known... And yeah, again, National Guard. I'm not kidding. I love this. Bigfoot is known by many titles with many different cultures, although the name Bigfoot is generally attributed to the mountainous western region of North America. The common name Sasquatch comes from the Salish Sasquits, while the Algonquin of the north central region of the continent referred to the Wittigo or the Wendigo. Other nations tell of a large creature, much like a man, but imbued with special powers and characteristics. The Abjiwe of the Northern Plains believe that the Rougarou appeared in times of danger, and other nations agree that the hairy apparition was a messenger of warning telling men to change their ways. And we'd mentioned the Ojibwe last time we were on uh, mm-hmm. on here in the podcast, and we were discussing Wendigo, because there's a lot of the lore kind of like mixes together for Bigfoot and Wendigo, even though they don't look the same in any way. They kind of all go together in these different religions, and yeah. they, they discuss them. So the Iroquois also kind of lived in this area. While we know the Abenaki were in the in this general Bennington Triangle area, um, the Iroquois also kind of dipped down into that area. Um, and they had their own beliefs of Bigfoot. So the Iroquois of the Northeast, which is us, you know, um, mm. they viewed Bigfoot as a messenger from the creator trying to warn humans to change their ways or face imperative disaster, mm. which is kind of what we mentioned with the Bridgewater Triangle. Yeah. So, um, go back to the Wolgaru thing. Um, yeah. uh, what'd they say about that again? Um, in times of danger, they agree that the hairy apparition was a messenger of warning telling man to change his way. So very similar to the Iroquois. So the Iroquois called it Wolgaru? No, the Objiwe. Okay. Because, um, there are, I believe it's Australia, yeah, Australian tribes that believe in the Wolgaru. Interesting. Yeah. I learned hmm. that from other land. Of course you did. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but, but you know, he's he heavily researches his stuff and all yeah. that. But, um, well, and I, again, like, when I teach, you know, folk literature, and I, when I, sorry, when I did teach it to my 11th graders, and you're looking at creation stories, it's amazing how when you look at the creation stories of, like, every culture, they're all eerily the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when we read in one of the creation stories, even from the Native Americans in our area for American literature, it's very, very similar to... Um, Adam and Eve, and then they're at a tree, and she eats the roots of the she. She's at the yeah. roots of the tree for some reason. I'm not sure if she's eating or whatever. Yeah. But because she was touching and trying to abuse the tree of knowledge, she's kicked out, and so yeah. she falls down a hole. <laughs> you know. I mean, same with Pandora's world. box too. It's you know the same kind of thing. Every life was great until she opened the box, and trouble. Was you know, released into the world and all that. Yeah, yeah the, the 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 it's these archetypes that repeat mm-hmm. over and over again. And so I, you know, again to have these archetypes over and over again, like it's just kind of cool. And I think there's this like, there has to be some kind of origination for all humankind, especially if you're looking mm-hmm. at the the Ojibwe is here in America. They didn't get to Australia. <laughs> like, yeah. So how they connect? But in any case, so going back to then the Iroquois. 
we already discussed them a little bit. They believed in Bigfoot and the little people. They believed they inhabit the Adirondack Mountains. So they passed down stories about hunters who occasionally have seen small human-like beings. Um, They assert, this is present day, they they still assert that the little people are out there. Mm -hmm. So the Pukwaji are going to get you. They're just not seen very often because the Iroquois don't spend so much time in the woods. Mm -hmm. And um, the woods aren't thick, dense forests like they used to be. Yeah. Same thing with with, uh, Bigfoot. Yeah. They believe that um, Bigfoot could be there, but he likes very thick, old-fashioned, you know, the old Mm -hmm. original wood, and those trees have been cut down. Yeah. But the Iroquois regard both Bigfoot and little people as spiritual or interdimensional beings who can enter or leave our physical dimension as they please and choose to whom they present themselves always for a reason. So I'm there's no discussion of Pukwajis being in the Bennington Triangle, but they could be. Yeah. I mean, mental illness aside, when you said the guy committed murder because of voices, voices. in his head, like... That's a big red flag for Pukwaji. Again, yeah. mental illness aside. Yeah. Know, that's that's the first thing you want to look for there. Yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah. So in any case, the Genosqua is a Sasquatch that you find in Iroquois, Iroquois folklore. Um, it's said to be a massive Sasquatch Bigfoot character, and he can be between 9 and 11 feet tall. And he okay. can weigh between like 800 and like 1,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. He's a big boy. He also has a smell emanating from his armpits that smells like a skunk. Skunk ape, right? And it also smells like rot. And it's said to have skin and fur that is as hard as rocks. Hmm. Yeah, it's said to be extremely aggressive and territorial. And it was said to raid Native American camps and kidnap Native Americans in order to eat them. Or would just twist their heads off and decapitate them. Sounds like something else I have read about recently. So. Yeah. Bigfoot, in this case, yeah. scary. But Genosca translates actually into stone giant. Mm. Yeah. And they believe that the rocky skin and fur could actually have been mud. So yeah. that that's another belief that's coming out of the Iroquois folklore. Yeah. So you have the Abenaki who have a fear of the Bigfoot. Um, you have the Iroquois legends kind of being passed in around that same area. Mm-hmm. Um, you have just over neighboring Massachusetts, the Bridgewater Triangle, where you have Pukwaji stories and whatnot. Yeah. So, again, it's just a, that's, a, that's a sister state yeah. up north. So you got all that going on. Because that all sounds like the Kandahar Giant, which What's we can that? talk about in the later episode. Well, it's a short story. Do it now. Um, so in 2003, 2004, early in the War on Terror. Okay. Uh uh, you know, we're in Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, uh, doing all that stuff. And uh, a squad of Marines goes into the Kandahar Valley and just disappears. Oh. And so another squad goes in to see what's going on and rescue if needed. And they find that they had all been like, you know, like ripped apart. And this giant comes at them, like, you know, covered in fur. Oh. And they get into, like, a big firefight with it. And it impaled one of them on, like, this, like, eight-foot-long spear. And uh, they eventually kill it. And they said it took a um, a cargo helicopter, like one of those big ones, yeah. uh, to carry the body out. Where'd they put it? And the, that's the thing. They're not, like... Now, obviously, you know, they, they not, they're not allowed to talk about it yeah. and everything, but, um, and, you know, it officially never happened. Oh, all, yeah, yeah, never, yeah, never happened. But, 
um, you know, the similarities there. Yeah. That, that he would like, you know, he ripped them in half and ate people and things like that. So he actually ate them. Yes. Ew. Okay. Well, yeah. that's well. He ate the hard. first squad, not not the other guys. So like, they were all in. Could they see that or like? I yeah, because I think again, it's been a while since I read the article, but like you know that they found bones and stuff Ugh. littering the the site. Bigfoot's supposed to be our friend, but he's just like <laughs> well, a this Wendigo. Is, this is yeah. much bigger than big. You know, Bigfoot's only supposed to be like seven feet tall or yeah. so. This thing was huge. This is the granddaddy of yeah, Bigfoot. Yeah, the fact that like a regular helicopter could not lift its body, they had to get a big cargo helicopter That's to crazy. carry it away. That's, well, needless to say, <laughs> Glastonbury Mountain was wholly ignored and avoided by the Abenaki. Um, due to their beliefs. And if that thing came at me, I wouldn't go up there either. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now, they did use the um, the base of the mountain for a burial site. So that was where they would go. But that was it. They didn't go anywhere else near the mountain. Mm-hmm. So I just, again, in that same area, you have all this other stuff happening here, voices. Um, but there is also a story, an actual, like, we it, it's it's documented a story of people seeing Bigfoot in this area, mm-hmm. so I want to tell this story from Glastonbury Mountain um, because it's one of the very first reported sightings, and it was in the early 1800s. A stagecoach full of passengers was forced to stop on a washed-out road, so the stage driver, you know, gets down and is looking around to see if they can get through, and he notices these humongous footprints in the mud, mm-hmm. way too large to be a human's. And then he is attacked by a giant creature who then knocks the stagecoach on its side. Obviously, the frightened passengers are scared, but they said all they could see were a pair of glowing red eyes before the monster roared loudly and then runs back into the forest. Um, So then later sightings, same area, they saw a creature who was large, hairy, and very- And in charge. And very black, but stood over six feet tall. Wow. So not like, you know, nine to 11 feet, but still- black dark hair yeah creepy and then there are more future sightings in the same area um again described with black fur walking upright over six feet um as mentioned in legends of america witnesses claim the monster is similar in appearance to bigfoot or sasquatch so i I don't think it's a stone giant based on the conversations and how big it's supposed to be but he's definitely cranky and he's angry based on our previous cryptid episodes it's a black bear Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it is a black bear. And, I mean, it, yeah, exactly. But I don't know. I think they would know what a bear is if it attacks, like, the stagecoach. Uh, yeah, and that's the story I always make when we do these stories. Like, you can obviously tell. It's a bear. The, yeah, it's don't a bear. Don't cuddle. <laughs> like, you, you know the difference between it. But then, you know, the there are people out there who'd be like, it's, well, you're obviously talking about a bear. Like, it's tall. It's black. You know, it's. Yeah. Like, it's a bear. But people who live in, you know, live in the area and see bears all the time, they know what a bear looks like. And this is not it. You just give him as a picnic a basket and he's fine. Yeah. Especially when they say, like, the footprints are unlike anything they've ever mm-hmm. seen, you know? Not a bear. Well, I don't want to go hang out with this Bigfoot. I'm scared by well, it. Well, if it's a bear. They have murder you hang mittens. Out with it then? No, murder mittens. Mm. And snappy jaws. Yeah. Anyway, what else happens in there? Strange, creepy feelings. I don't mean like you're afraid of ghosts. So some visitors who go into the woods, they've reported like experiencing this very unusual and like unsettling confusion and dizziness, 
and it's not just like their ears buzzing. Mm-hmm. They just feel very, very, very dizzy. So in an interview with Bennington Banner, um, Robert Singley said that he was lost in the triangle when, quote, everything crescendoed into this weird sort of dizzying confusion. It just suddenly got dark, and then it was like, where am I? What's going on? Hmm. So almost like he's being sucked into some kind of a portal. But yeah. he then he said that he sought shelter under a large maple tree, which was, quote, expelling a weird haunting energy. He was able to finally make his way out the following morning. They say they're all night, um, but others have not been as fortunate. People have gone disappearo yeah. in this triangle. But it's interesting that this uh, dizzying feeling is mentioned because it's been mentioned multiple times by people. And so there's speculation that maybe this dizzying feeling is what's leading to missing persons. Yeah. But he says it gets suddenly dark and he's like, where am I? Yeah. I just find that to be kind of creepy. Like, was he like on the edge of some kind of like portal and kind of came back? Well, it's a lot like our very first episode of the podcast, Lauren Ray's house, where like the there are certain places where it feels like the trees just condense around you. Yeah. You know, and everything does seem to get darker and more claustrophobic and. Yeah foreboding well this place is creepy enough i'll tell you what yeah but the vermonter that's a really well-known newspaper up there they report that as many as 40 people have vanished in the triangle up there but the most significant number happened in that time period of like 1945 to 1950 so it's Mm -hmm. a five-year span pretty much so in that five-year period you had paul jepson who was aged eight disappear frida langer 53 Mitty rivers it's a guy Mitty, just so you know 74, there was a guy named uh, James Tedrod, who was 68, and then there was Paula Weldon, age 18. Hmm. And they all vanished in that area. So very similar to the line of people missing in Pennsylvania. Yeah. But again, if you go back as far as 1873, there were reports of disappearances. Um, So people have suggested that maybe they were caused by a time warp or an interdimensional portal. Um, if you look at the Puckwaji or the Rip Van Winkle story, Rip Van Winkle was in the Catskills, really close to the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. You know, we're pushing down to New York now, of course, not Vermont, but again, Upper New England area. Yeah. And Rip Van Winkle's story is, you know, he goes out in the woods and the little people get him and he's there for a hundred years, whatever. So like, it's interesting that it, cause it sounds like the Puckwaji, you know, they want yeah. you to come with them and then you just disappear. Yeah. Same with fairies in yep. Europe. Similar. Very similar stories there. Yeah. So maybe I don't want to go to the woods out here. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> other um, theories suggest that it could be like a government experiment and cover-up, of course. Um, others have suggested there's some kind of culty group out there and they're mm. taking people. Um, I don't really think it's a cult. I don't think it's a serial killer because the age gaps and the people that went missing were like all very different. Yeah. And then there would be an incredible amount of wrong place, wrong time, you know, like for you to be out there the same time as the cult or the serial killer or whatever, like that, that seems very improbable. Yeah. And some of the people who go missing are like really what, like they're good huntsmen. Like that's Mm -hmm. like, they shouldn't have gone missing. Same with uh, that, the Bigfoot documentary we saw. Yes. Oh, that was Missing 411. That's still freaking out. Like, they're all experienced hunters. And there's that creepy noise happening in the background. Yeah. Um, So the first person I want to talk about then is Mitty Rivers, 1945. 
he vanishes, like just out of nowhere. Um, and it happened on November 12th. He was 74, so you couldn't use the excuse that he's an old timer, mm-hmm. all right? But he was out hunting, and he was in the vicinity of Long Trail Road, which is um, near Vermont Route 9. Okay. So it's a weekend hunting trip. He's out there with four other hunters. They're up in the mountains. They've done it before, you know. Um, he and his son-in-law, Joe, they go walking together before reaching a fork. When they're there... Um, Joe was telling the story. He said they would separate here and Rivers told him that he'd, quote, only be going a short distance and then he would join them at camp for lunch. And they're hunting. As of three o'clock comes and goes, the Ross Hunting Party is starting to look for him and they're getting nervous. Yeah. They do get a hold of authorities. Um, An extensive search was conducted, but the only evidence they discovered was a single rifle cartridge that was found in a stream. The speculation was that maybe he leaned over and the cartridge dropped out of his pocket, mm-hmm. and that's why I got into the water. But he was an, out- an experienced outdoorsman. He was very familiar with the area. He should not have gotten lost. And he had just seen Joe, his son-in-law. Yeah. And what's, for me, interesting is that he was right there with water, again, a conduit for Bigfoot to mm-hmm. go to different portals. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's Bigfoot, <laughs> <clears throat> but it's Bigfoot. <laughs> um, so that happens 1945. You could chalk it up to, you know, a bear run off of them, but you would see something because there'd be a fight. You'd hear gunshots. You'd see. Yeah, they would have cart- heard the gun, the gunfire. Exactly. Um, and if he knew where he was going, and there was a fork where they were at, like he should have easily gotten there. Yeah. So, it's it's questionable. Mm-hmm. We'll just go. That's mm-hmm. questionable. Okay. So the next person is Paula Weldon, nineteen forty six. So a year later. So I'm going to tell you a story that I got offline off of my websites. Um. And I'm going to read it word for word. Okay. Lewis Knapp saw the girl in the red parka and decided to stop. It was roughly 3 p.m. on Sunday, December 1st, 1946, and Knapp was driving along Route 67A in Bennington, Vermont. A building contractor by trade, he was headed for home a few miles away. He asked the girl where she was going. To hike the long trail, she said. It was a reference to a path that climbed five miles up Glastonbury Mountain, one well known in the area. She didn't seem dressed for it, though. It was late afternoon, and the weather, already cool, would be getting colder. Nat figured she was a student at Bennington College, which was right near where he had stopped. He thought her a little clumsy. She had tripped climbing into his truck, but otherwise unremarkable. (laughs) The two said little as Nat neared his driveway on Route 9 toward Glastonbury. Down the road, roughly two miles, was the entrance to the long trail. "'Thanks, that's swell,' the girl said, and headed in that direction." A few minutes later, Knapp's daughter went outside. Route 9 was flat, and you could see a considerable distance of up to a half mile either way. She would later tell police that there had been no sign of the hitchhiker, even though she should still have been within view. No one could walk a half mile that quickly. The girl's name was Paula Weldon, and for the next several weeks, she would be the biggest story to hit Bennington in a long time. Her fate would lend credence to the growing belief that this part of the long trail was home to the an area that seemed to harbor one story after another of people who simply vanished. And, of course, it's the Bennington Triangle. Mm-hmm. So what's the real story then? Well, that is pretty much it. Like, that that's 100% wow. what happened. Yeah. So her name's Paula. She was 18. She was going – she was a sophomore at Bennington College. Um, the story is, like, you know, she, her – she was married, and so it was just closer for her to be there. Um, but she set up for a hike. Um, she is wearing a red, a red coat. 
A lot of people saw her depart, including Ernest Whitman, who was a Bennington Banner employee. He gave her directions where she was going. He said she was not wearing a heavy jacket during her journey. It was 50 degrees outside, so she had like a light thing on, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why later in the story, the guy who's telling the story, Lewis, is just like, it's going to get cold, but okay. <laughs> but it does drop later to nine degrees Fahrenheit. So when she was out, you know, she could have ended up getting hypothermia. That's a that's a side mm-hmm. thought. Yeah. yeah. So Weldon was alleged to have been seen on the trail itself by an elderly couple who were about 100 yards behind her. So not only did Lewis drop her off, a, per, a couple saw her there. So regardless of if she could walk half mile quickly or not, maybe she just walked into the woods fast and so the daughter didn't see her, whatever. Yeah. But they, according to the elderly couple, she turned a corner in the trail. And when they reached that same corner, she was gone. She hmm. just disappeared. So an extensive search was conducted. It had over 500 volunteers looking for her. There was even um, a posting of a $5,000 reward. This is 1946. Wow. Yep. And help from the FBI. But no evidence was ever found of her at all. And what's interesting is her disappearance was the inspiration for the 1951 novel Hangsman by Shirley Jackson, which is why I read about Natalie. Mm-hmm. It's very loosely based off what happened to Weldon. But in the story, the character wears a red coat, which I I like as a little nod. Yeah. Because Shirley Jackson lived in Bennington when Weldon mysteriously vanished. And oh. it's possible that she actually helped um, in the search looking for her. Oh, wow. Yeah, isn't that cool? Jackson also wrote um, Haunting of Hill House around this time, too. And there's like a couple of nods to the area actually in that text. Uh-huh. Fun fact. All right. I'm a nerd. So I'll show you Jackson's my boo. Anyway, so there was no way that she could, you know, avoid hearing about this missing girl um, and the theories that are born out of it. And Shirley Jackson was definitely, like, aware of the dark folk tales of the mountain, hence all the creepy stories that she would tell. So that's why she kind of puts this into a, a story and kind of, like, writes about Paula. Paula was never found. No traces of her were ever found. She just disappears. Hmm. Okay? So the next person is 1949. His name was James Tedford. He was a veteran. Okay? So, like, again, strong, seasoned professional. He went missing on December 1st, 1949. So you notice that's late November, early December. Yeah. That they all go missing. And it was three years to the day that Weldon was last seen that he goes missing. Hmm. Yep. So he was a resident of the Bennington Soldiers Home, and he had been in St. Albans visiting relatives and was accompanied to a local bus station, which was the last location that he was ever seen. According to witnesses, he got on the bus and was still on board at the last stop before arriving in Bennington. Somewhere between the last stop and Bennington, he just vanished on the bus. It's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty cool. His belongings, his luggage, all still there. There was an open bus timetable still on his vacant seat. But he's just gone. I've definitely heard of this. Right? Yeah. Um. So Tony Jinks was a person in the area, and he discussed saying that, quote, the popular conception is that he vanished into thin air while on the bus, but likely many missing person stories, there's a gap between when he was last seen and when he was reported missing a week or so later. So they, he really just kind of says, like, there's no evidence to suggest he didn't dematerialize or whatever. It could have just been, like, him just disappearing into whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool. So then, to me, probably the most notably depressing one is Paul Jepson, 1950. So, again, just a year later. Okay, now it's October 12th, 
Now, the first person I mentioned missing was November 12th. So it's it again. It's the fall. Mm -hmm. Paul Jepson, eight years old. He accompanied his mother in a truck. She left her son unattended for about an hour while she was feeding some pigs. Oh, my gosh. Okay. It's the 50s. Yeah. (laughs) And he's in a truck, so he should be safe. Um, So when she returns, he's not there. Of course, she freaks out. She gets um, she gets um, a search party kind of formed. They go looking for him. Nothing was ever found. Mm-hmm. He was wearing a bright red jacket that should have made him should have made him very visible. Um, but according to one story, they got, they brought in uh, bloodhounds to track him. They tracked him to a local highway where, according to local legend, is where Weldon had disappeared four years earlier. Mm. And she had been wearing a red jacket. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I'm not sure if that's true, but according to legend, that's what happened. Hmm. And then, same year, just a couple weeks later, it's October 28th, 1950, Frida Langer goes disappearing. So, it's 16 days after Jepson. She is 53. And her, she and her cousin, Herbert Elsner, left their family campsite near the Somerset Reservoir to go on a hike. During the journey... Langer slipped and fell into a stream. She told Elsner if he would wait, she would go back to the campsite, change clothes, and catch up to him. When she didn't return to him, he made his way back to the campsite and discovered that she had not returned and that nobody had seen her since they had left. Over the next two weeks, five searches were conducted involving aircraft, helicopters, and up to 300 searchers. No trace of Langer was found during the search. Wow. Then, May 12, 1951, so just a couple months later, her body was found. She's the only person out of all these 40 people mm-hmm. who are found. And it's found. Th- she's found three and a half miles from the campsite in the eastern branch of the Deerfield River, an area that had only been lightly searched during their seven months of searching previously. No, no cause of death could be determined because, obviously, of the condition of her remains. Yeah. It was months later. Um, no direct connections um, to tie into the cases together. No question of foul play. Like, I'd be wondering, is was she killed by her cousin and, like, left out there? Could she have been dragged away by a bear? That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you, since they found her body, you could say maybe there was a plan to kill her or a bear to drag her. But if there was a search party, you would see the obvious scuffle that would have happened if she were dragged by a bear. There would be, like, blood. Because, you know, like... Yeah. A bear attack is not a pretty thing. Yeah. It just isn't. So I, I don't know. Like I feel like you could you could probably like question that or you know, maybe discuss it away. Maybe. And she came back, but in a river. I'm just saying there is a connection with water here, people. All right. Open your eyes. It's Bigfoot. Okay. So there are a lot of reasons for the disappearances. Okay, we've discussed a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, So to quote some of the texts that I had found, it's fascinating to consider the many potential explanations that could explain this unexplainable phenomena. Thank you. I only wanted to read that so I could say that word. (laughs) Um, So one possibility is obviously just the environment. It's a mountain. There's bad wind, (laughs) torrential downpours, rugged terrain, soil erosion, you name it, remote all yeah. Right. Not yeah. a safe place. Yeah. So that would be an easiest, uh, the easiest explanation. But I come back to the fact that Mitty Rivers was a an experienced hunter. 
you know? Mm -hmm. So I just, I don't, I don't know. Like I can't, that makes that, that gives me pause. Yeah. Yeah. Another possible explanation they have is that the disappearances were the result of animal attacks or some kind of, you know, violence that way. Yes. I could say that there's a possibility of a bear killer bear. Cause once a bear has a taste for human meat, they're more up to attack. Mm hmm. The area is remote. It's secluded. So those attacks could happen and they could go unnoticed. If you don't have experienced searchers out there looking for the, the burial pile that a bear will make when they want to save their meat for later. Um, some people have said maybe humans are killing the area. It could be, you know, the cult. Yeah. Especially like if one body turned up, that means that there's a good chance that the others, you know, like, you know, they weren't, they didn't vanish. It's just no one found them yet. Yeah. Um, some people, of course, have mentioned alien abductions. I could not find enough on that kind of supernatural stuff to suggest that there was like some kind of ghost or there's aliens out there. Yeah. They have mentioned strange lights, but that's all I found was there are strange lights in the sky. Yeah. So I'm just like, okay, but that's not enough for me to go on. Yeah. So while some, I feel like an animal attack could explain this one over here, over there. There's no like potentially good evocative answer to explain everyone who's gone missing. Yeah. So the unconventional theory that I actually kind of am leaning towards is the, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the existence of some kind of interdimensional portal or vortex in the triangle. <laughs> it feels weird to say that, but we're doing alien crazy stuff this year, so we'll go with it. <laughs> so <laughs> shout out to Liminal Unlimited. This is totally you, not me. But if you look at the hypothesis, it makes sense. They could be walking over to an unknown alternate dimension. And we've already done discussion about like you know, Native American folklore and uh, Bigfoot known to be a traveler between dimensions and water is his conduit. So like, I feel like that could be an attempt to make some kind of connection and explanation for the vanishings. So like I said, I'm not saying it's Bigfoot, but it's Bigfoot. Okay. Like it's probably his fault. Plus this guy takes you off to eat you. So if it's that Bigfoot, uh, watch out. Yeah. Watch yeah. out. All right. Um, another suggestion for just for safety, if we're going to go out there, we have to watch the village. Listeners, watch the village, okay? Because there is one common thread, if you didn't catch it, uh -huh. with many of these disappearances, it's the color red. Two of the five people that I discussed were wearing red, all right? And it's become somewhat of a legend to those heading to the spot of in the, in the Beddington trial that you should avoid wearing that color. Okay. It's so, the bad color. It's the bad color. It's exactly Oh, wait. It. I'm sorry. It is the bad color. No contractions. <laughs> no contractions. Um, additionally, if you didn't catch it, many of the disappearances happened between 3 and 4 o'clock. Yeah. So just don't go out after lunch. <laughs> Morning walk and you're fine, I guess. Also, listeners, if you haven't seen The Village, it's not a horror movie. Do not go into the movie expecting a horror movie because it's not. It was marketed poorly. I liked it. Oh, it's a great movie, but it's not a horror movie. Yeah. It's a dystopia. Yes. Well, it's supposed to be a utopia, but it's not. A, yeah. Because yeah. a utopia yeah. is not a utopia. Yeah. It is a Greek word meaning perfect place and no place. Yep. So just so you know, it's not a horror movie. It's a drama about a dystopia. I it cannot see his color. It's a quote from the movie. Anyway. <laughs> um, Joaquin Phoenix in it. So good. Because that was Adrian his... Brody. Yeah. 
Bryce Dallas Howard. Because that came after Signs. Because yes, um, M Night Shyamalan always uses the same actor at least twice. Mm -hmm. And so Joaquin had been in Signs, and then he was in that one. Then he was done. And that Bryce Dallas Howard was in that one, and then she was in the Mermaid thing, the Lady in the Water. That yeah, we don't talk about that one. We don't talk no. Anyway, another idea is that there is a serial killer out there. Mm -hmm. The pattern. Of the dates, the times, the location, it can suggest there being one responsible. Uh-huh. Yeah. However, I just serial killers have a type. All right, so like they're all so different. The victims you have an eight outdoorsy year old, type. Not not the little eight year old. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Paula was wearing the wrong that, coat. <laughs> that one could have just been kidnapping, though. Like really, he was alone for an hour. Anything could have happened. Well, that's just depressing. Thank you, PJ. I'm just saying. Like, I know what you're saying. Yeah. That's the least believable for anything paranormal. I guess. Um, and it was during that five-year time span, so could it have been? Yes. Um, I just, I don't know. Like, it's appealing. It'd be a nice way to, like, put a bow on this and be done. Mm-hmm. But Langer and Rivers went missing on the mountain near Friends. Like, so mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's, ex- it's risky for a serial killer to drag somebody off who is with, with friends. Weldon was seen by an elderly couple. Then she's okay, fine. You do put your hand over her mouth and drag her behind a tree. They might not notice her, but <sighs> the victims don't follow the same pattern. You know, if it's right. a serial killer who wants to go out and like hunt the hunt, the hunter. Okay. You got to find more middies out there, you know? Yeah. And one guy disappears off the bus, not even out of the woods, you know, they're not all in the same location. And poor little, little Paul, like, I'm sorry, like an eight year old boy sitting in a car is not much of a sport. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Like an opportunity killer. Mm -hmm. Okay. But still like, it's just, I don't know. Like, yeah, usually there's like some kind of ceremony or ritual to serial killers. And for this, like, there doesn't seem to be, you know, they just, they don't turn up at all, which means they might be good at covering their tracks. If, if but... it was an opportunity killing, like, you know, he goes up there to, like, hunt from October to December and he just kills one human at a time. It's like that whole most dangerous game situation. Yeah. Okay. But that poor kid. So is that, like, an opportunity? Like, oh, that was kind of boring. So I'm going to go for one more person. Yeah. You know, because what a letdown who was just, who was easy yeah. pickings. I don't know. I just... I feel like that's a, you're trying too hard to kind of wrap it up with a bow, you mm. know, especially considering that we have all these interesting stories of things that have happened in the past, Bigfoot sightings. I don't know. Yeah. And apparently alien sightings, but I couldn't find anything good online. So I'll have to buy a book. <laughs> I don't want to buy any more books lately because I have so many I still have to read, but I'm just like, oh, buy a book on this too. <laughs> <laughs> but that is the Bennington Triangle. What are your thoughts? It's interesting how frequent and consolidated all of these disappearances have happened, which makes me think that it could be a real thing. But then if one of the bodies turn up for one of the victims, then it's like, well, the others might be out there too then. Yeah. You know? So there's that part of it too. It's like, okay, well, if we found one, then maybe you know the others are just out there then and we just didn't never found found them bigfoot just got messy with that one you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> oh maybe roland wheeler came back from his grave and i don't know 
<laughs> Isaac is upset. <laughs> Wrongly killed. Poor Isaac. All right. Um. So, but that's all that I have on mm. it. If I find it's really more, cool, I'll let you know. Yes, but um, scary. Don't want to wear red there. Yeah. Um. Not gonna walk out there at three to four o'clock in the afternoon. Just not gonna do it. But I do want to go to Vermont because I love New Hampshire. So yeah, fit right in. Uh. But we do have our giveaway. So do you want to? We talk? do. We have all of our stuff for it. Now we have, you get your choice of t-shirt. Do you want like the Well House Exorcism shirt, the best one? Or maybe the Games Overboard shirt, I guess. Um, you get a pin from bo- for both of the shows, regardless. Mm-hmm. You get boop. You get boop. 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 <laughs> um, there's the Plague Doctor. And it's an incense burner, and you'll get a bag of sage cones. So you can sage your house. <laughs> it's rosemary, but sage <laughs> it. Um, there is a sign for no more trespassing. We can't hide the bodies, or we, we're losing. I forget how it's worded. We're remember. tired of hiding, we're burying ti- the bodies. Yeah, that's right. We're, um, there is a Mothman pin because it's just funny. Yeah, and it I, looks like the Batman logo, but it's Mothman. Yep, and I bought a matching one for PJ, so you can match with PJ. Yep. I got a bumper sticker that says "I believe in." Is it "I believe in Bat"? Mothman, I think it says. Mothman believes in you. Mothman. Oh, see, I, I bought really well. <laughs> I forgot. It's late and I'm tired. Um, what else do we have? I mean, it's a whole pile of stuff. I, I had fun. The, uh, the Plague Doctor. Got that already. Sense. I have a picture, but my phone's upstairs. And everything oh. is, everything's upstairs. I'm not going to walk upstairs. Yeah. We got stuff. We got lots we of got merch. We got stuff. Yeah, you. you're going to enjoy it. Um, so the giveaway is for anyone here in America. When it's posted on Facebook... Are we going to yeah, post on Instagram the contigu- too? The, yeah, we'll post the Facebook and Instagram. Uh, but yeah, the contigu- contiguous states. So that'll be, we'll put all the, the rules up for that and uh, hope you win. Enjoy. It's lots of fun buying creepy stuff. <laughs> giveaway and a giveaway. <laughs> we're so happy to have you as our listeners. We look forward to doing this every week, even when we're tired and can't talk and can't say, <laughs> welcome back to this week's episode. It's too many words. It's hard. So anyway, um, have a lovely week. Stay safe. Don't break your feet. Wow. You're going there. (laughs) And as always, think spooky thoughts. I am like a small creature swallowed whole by a monster, she thought, and the monster feels my tiny little movements inside. No, she said aloud, and the one word echoed. Shirley Jackson, The Haunting of Hill House.